Suppose you hadn't talked with a friend of yours since college, and suppose you'd just written a book about your life, including college and including the friend. Then suppose that friend read the book and you had an on-air conversation about it live. What would that be like? Find out this week and next when Dr. Paul Schatzberger talks with Kathy Tilly Schaefer about the stories in his book, Moments That Matter, as well as stories left on the cutting room floor. Kathy Tilly Schaefer is an old friend of mine from our UNC Chapel Hill days. She was a big junior journalism major when I showed up as a little clueless freshman. She's retired now, which I'm very envious of, but still living in North Carolina. We are Facebook friends, uh, and we've communicated a little online, but we haven't actually had a face-to-face -face conversation for 40-something years until just today. Yet it turns out she's a fan of my books and has already read the Moments That Matter book twice, which is a huge compliment. I thought it would be fun to have Tilly, as she's been known forever, on the podcast to get her perspective as someone who has known me a long time and yet was not familiar with a lot of what's in the book. Tilly, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me, remembering me that I exist. <laughs> oh, you were unforgettable. Um, yeah, I, I, until I met you, I believe this is correct, I had not known a woman who went by her last name. Uh, and, and I thought that was so cool. And then you uh, drank Dr. Pepper uh, in the morning for breakfast, and I, I just thought, oh, my gosh, she's the coolest person I know. So one of the stories I relay in the book is about coming to North Carolina as a freshman from New Jersey and feeling like a fish out of water, but then getting involved in a small group uh, with InterVarsity known then as an action group, and you were a co-leader of that group. How did you come to be a co-leader for an action group? That's one of those things I don't remember. I think it was just seniority. We had the only group in our dorm, I think. It was the only one. That may be there. true, yeah. There was a thousand people in the dorm, and I had been involved with InterVarsity since freshman year. So um, it was just one of those rites of passage, being, a, being older and so much wiser. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, well. I'm assuming that's just the reason why, just because I'd been there a while. Not that was probably great wisdom or anything. It's probably the same way I became president of South Campus Chapter as a sophomore, which should have never happened. For those that don't know or can't imagine or whatever, um, Chapel Hill at that time was about 20,000 students, something like that. And we were living in a dorm, a 10-story dorm uh, of 1,000 people. And you just feel like you, you got swallowed up. And... Um, like, where am I? What am I doing? And everything else like that. And so as much as you felt, you know, kind of fish out of water, you know, when you started at Chapel Hill, by the time we got there, you were pretty comfortable. And, and that was very reassuring that somebody <laughs> at Chapel Hill could be comfortable uh, in that kind of environment because, man, it was, it was different for me too. I mean, you know, small town or not. Um, and, and this may be something else that you don't remember, but nonetheless, I'd, I'll throw past you, you know, because I say in the book that uh, the group requested me to learn the guitar so we could sing worship songs together. And you may not remember this. I, I have a vague memory that it was you, actually, who, and, and I also have this memory that it wasn't a request. Um, and and somehow it had, it had been found out that I, I played keyboard 
And so I was at least semi-musical. And uh, so there was the scheme, you know, to, to make me into a guitar player. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. That's, that's the most amazing thing about that. Uh, I suppose you don't have any memory of that, huh? Yeah, I don't. But in thinking back, that sounds like me. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things that I don't know. Like, God has given to me in that I encourage people. If I see they have some some talent like that I don't have, I wish I had. I said, okay, you got this ability. You need to share it with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't remember exactly doing that, but I do that with other people. So mm-hmm. I think I probably did it with you. And I love hearing people play the guitar or whatever. I did not realize till you mentioned it that you played the pipe organ. Is that in the book? Yeah, that? I grew up um, playing piano and pipe organ. Um, and but there was this secret desire on my part that nobody knew about um, to play the guitar because all of my friends growing up and, and especially in high school played the guitar and it was so portable <laughs> compared to a piano or an organ and uh, and I thought oh man that'd be so great to play a portable instrument so so that little push you know um, which I think happened in fall semester then took me into uh, Christmas break and I had no idea a where I was going to get a guitar and B how I was going to learn to play the guitar and, and bear in mind that I'm still going back up to New Jersey, you know, uh, like on break and stuff like that. So I went back up and I don't talk about this in the book, you know, thank goodness. But anyway, um, on Christmas break and my mom had been with my dad to Portugal to a meeting and of all things that she thought to buy as a tourist, she bought a classical guitar, um, and and then stuck it in the attic. I mean, literally, she had no intention whatsoever to play the thing, but that's what she decided, you know, that she really wanted. So uh, so I'm talking about the guitar, and then she thought, I have a guitar, and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so so I, I started on that, and there was a friend from high school who uh, had, had been playing for a while, and uh, we went to church together, and, you know, this Sunday – you know, I, I was just like, you know, I've got this guitar. <laughs> I have to learn how to play and help, you know. And and so he just sat with me for a month, and uh, and we just played together for like a month. And so I came back in spring semester, and I was actually playing chords, which is, I mean, it, it's just astounding uh, to, to think that that's actually possible. Um, but the thing that I need to tell you, Tilly, is that this change literally changed my life because – um, because everywhere I went from that point on, I played the guitar. And I've always led worship somewhere that I've been literally my entire life. You know, so this this 40 years gap here, you know, um, I always, and, and now I'm in, I'm leading worship again when we meet as a church, you know, because of COVID. But anyway, uh, so I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving. So I'm I'm very grateful to you. I just want well, you to know that. I I don't know that I can take any credit, but I I will. <laughs> but you said it was inexplicable in the note you wrote to me about the guitar, and I'm thinking, no, it was very God did that just to bring the guitar back from Portugal. I mean, that was no easy undertaking. <laughs> so, I mean, how did you do that? You don't put it in the overhead. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, my dad was always on my mom's case because she would just buy the most, uh, the oddest things uh, when they would go traveling, and then had to haul it back, you know, and and uh, or or something would happen, uh, like they were in Mexico at a conference, and she won a raffle, and the raffle was. Uh, a haircut, like a stylist cut, while she was in Mexico. Okay, now you have to know this about my dad. He is—he was so traditional. It was like you know, this is the way I like it. It will never change. You know, meat and potatoes. You know that sort of thing. And mom had super long hair, but she would put it up into a bun, mm-hmm. and that's how she wore it. You know, well, this hairstylist got a hold of her and just chopped it. I mean, just like shoulder length, yeah, shoulder length hair, and she came back from that, and my dad lost his mind, um, and and she was months growing that back, you know, I I can't even imagine what she was thinking, um, or what the stylist was thinking, but anyway, um, so these kinds of things happen all the time, which is kind of interesting, but uh, in this particular case, it really benefited me. Um, so you mentioned that somehow you never knew the story of how I actually got to Chapel Hill um, and that you just assume I'd be in the Navy for a career after I left college, which was my assumption too, as you read in the book. Um, what did you think of the odyssey that I relayed in the book about how that goal changed over time? When I was reading it again the second time, well, I was surprised the first time. Um, and you make it sound as though this was never, ever your desire. Was it ever your desire to be in the Navy or you just find what you thought you were trying to make your dad happy? I, I truly believed in my heart that that was my own desire. I think it had just been planted so deeply by my father that I couldn't discern between, you know, my wishes and his wishes at that point. But when I look at that and you talk about, you make it sound like that you weren't seeking God's will in your life. And I, the, the Paul that I knew in college, you were so godly and you were always looking for God's direction in your life. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that you weren't in this case either. Um, you mentioned in the book, and I've seen in my life, God's grace. I mean, all this is part of that weaving together of your life. And I feel like, you think, oh, I didn't, I didn't look for where I was supposed to be, and maybe there were some times when you weren't supposed to be there, and it sounded, and I felt so bad. You sounded some really challenging times, and I was even the ROTC guy. I mean, I was like, oh man, I'm not even treating Paul that way. How awful! Because you're so nice and sweet and everything, and I was like, ah, and I had no idea even then that it was difficult for you. Um, I just saw you as this disciplined person, and um, you know, doing what you needed to do, and I, rem- I admired any, all the people I knew in ROTC. I saw them running up and down those steps, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> literally mm-hmm. running. Was it Keenan Statham? And I thought, man, yeah, um, yeah. So I just, I just feel like even though it was hard, that and then looking back in your life and seeing 
when you were not working, I think it was when you moved back to Chapel Hill, but that Navy Reserve money got you through. Yes. So yes, if absolutely. you been in the Navy, that wouldn't happen. Now maybe your time frame would have been all different, but with when maybe you would have started teaching, but all of that was I just feel like you were looking for God's will in your life. I, I don't know. And that, and that yeah. sort of contradicts, I think, some of the stuff you were saying. But the Paul I know, I do not know. I just can't see you just saying, going off on your own without asking God. It's just so sometimes it's hard to discern, okay, because this is what I want to do or is this what God wants me to do. And he always, you know, brings us back. You actually have the redirects from God. I think that was a phrase you used in the book. And I really like that. Um, we made, and I know in my life, I've made some choices that were obviously not godly, but somehow, you know, he gets me back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I just felt like all of that was part of the plan for you, but it was just had to be, I, I just hate that it was so hard. Yeah. I mean, and especially that first semester, well, the first year, but the first semester, um, yeah, that guy is unnamed, um, <laughs> that, the, the battalion commander. But Jack Sparks, if you're out there listening, um, I, I just want you to know that I actually appreciate all the discipline you, you taught to me. Um, FYI, Tilly, um, at the end of that year, okay, when he was getting ready to graduate, we had this big to-do with ROTC. It was some big dance and everything else like that. And... Uh, and I didn't have a ride there, and he offered to come and get me, and and I was just like, wow, you know. Um, and so actually, we court, we sort of parted on on really good terms. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was nice. Um, but he was, I was terrified of him uh, when when this was all going on. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing is wasted, as I say, and and uh, you know, and I certainly. I hope I don't come across as having regrets, um, but I do. There's been a lot of realizations. How about that? Um, about kind of where where did those desires come from? You know, and I realized that, you know, to, to at least to some extent, they were kind of external to me um, until I finally got that sense of, you know, oh, the teaching thing, and you know, then then it became a little bit more internalized. Um, well, so so let me ask you about you. Um, since you mentioned that, you know, some of the redirects and that sort of thing. Um, what about that idea of the clearness committee moments? You know, did that resonate with you like in your own life? And if you, have you had that kind of moment? Can you talk about any, I mean, if, if you want to, <laughs> um, about any of that? Well, I looked back, you know, I think back and I'm, I'm thinking, God, I never, like you just you tell in the book how you, God told you you were going to marry the woman that you married, and she, he told her that, too. I have never had God do stuff like that. I'm thinking, what am I not doing right? Um, but the, the 2020, which is, all, you know, this year, that's a hard, bad number now. But the hindsight, I look back, and um, I could see them. Um, there was a few times when I had, like, visceral of ex- experiences with God in that, there were at least two times when I had great anger and negative feelings toward individuals. And, and I mean, that lasted years, literally some of them and just praying, God, take me away, take it away, take it away. And then like suddenly with circumstances and things that I learned about these people, it literally lifted. I mean, I felt it 
you know, that was a really clear thing, like this burden was physically lifted for me. Mm. Um, the other time, it was similar to your experience. I majored in journalism, and you know, I thought that was, oh, big journalism major. I did not really know what I wanted to do. I had no idea. When I was little, I wanted to be a teacher. I even had a classroom set up, but that went away. I really didn't. That was what girls could be teachers or nurses when I was growing you know, my age group. Um, but my uncle was saying, oh, because I like to write some, and he was in, an advertising person. He said, oh, you should make your advertising. I said, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I always wanted to go to state because that's where all my family went. I was a state fan all my life. And then one uh, year, my junior year in high school, our class went to some um, um, lecture series at Carolina. And it was in um, oh, the building that um, where we had, where uh, Bible Church was. I can't remember the name oh, of that. Oh, yeah. What was that? Well, I can see it, but I can't, I can't name right it. Right in the middle of campus. No, yeah. actually, it was in Memorial Hall. It was a big meeting. So okay. we were in a big meeting. And at that time, you could see out the windows. I think they're closed up now where you can't see outside. And I'm list, it was on the Industrial Revolution. It was some just really boring thing. And um, I'm looking out the window, and it's spring in Chapel Hill. And there is nothing like that. The dogwoods mm-hmm. are blooming. And I'm saying, I want to go to school. <laughs> so pretty. <laughs> I don't want to go to a place that has so much brick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's why I ended up at Carolina, and mm-hmm. um, I majored in journalism because my uncle said, why don't you major in journalism? But my junior year, after I had taken the – and I was in the advertising sequence, and he had advertising and news writing. Even though I liked to write, I wasn't particularly gifted in it, um, I knew I didn't want to be a reporter because I just didn't have that – assertiveness that you need to insinuate yourselves in people's mm-hmm. bad moments of their life. Um, and the advertising sequence, I just was very uninspired. I knew yeah. this is not what I thought it was going to be. I had this moral conflict, like, do I really want to be writing advertising, trying to get people to buy things they don't need or want, really? And But I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just said, well, I'll get my degree. And I got my degree, and I still don't know what I'm doing, but, <laughs> but I retired now, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. God figured it out for me, and mm-hmm. I had a pretty, you know, it took a while to get there, but I have a feeling career, and I did know that I wanted to make a difference in people's lives in some way, so mm-hmm. I was a VISTA volunteer after college, and um I think in little ways, not nothing big. I've not been world changing, but maybe made a difference in some people's lives. Maybe. Sure. And you were uh, uh, employed with the Employment Commission, right? Employment Security Commission. So my job. So I was after this being the Vista volunteer. I worked with low-income people in South Georgia for a year, mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. doing PR stuff and writing, and liked it. When I came back. Um, there was a recession going on, hard to find jobs. Everybody wanted two years experience. I had one and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I floundered around and all my college friends were doing, going through their lives, being very successful in law school and med school. And here I was, ended up Virginia Beach working in a convenience store. (laughs) So it took me a while. Mm -hmm. So I went to the 
the employment service is the unemployment and unemployment office. But at our in, in North Carolina at the time, it was employment service and unemployment. So I got a job with them, and my job was helping welfare recipients find work. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to put on workshops and stuff. And since I had knew what it was like not to have a job, I was very empathetic with them. Mm-hmm. As a VISTA volunteer, you have no pay. So I was actually on food stamps, which wow. gave me great empathy because you don't get money. You give a stipend. It was like $300 a month, and you they don't give you a place to live. There's no dorm. Boy. <laughs> so I had a lot of empathy, and God used that. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. I was in northeastern North Carolina, which was the highest unemployment rate in the state. So. Mm-hmm. But it moved on, and I did get to sort of teach in my workshops, and eventually later in my career went to Raleigh and oversaw programs, and was I was teaching. <laughs> so I did workshops and developed training programs for our staff. So. All right. So that original vision of teaching actually was realized, huh? I guess so, yeah, in a different way. And then at Carolina... In the dorm, I was a social chairman for our floor. What floor did you live on? I lived on, well, I lived on a couple different floors. I lived on second when I first got there, um, but then I wound up on seventh. So I was on seventh floor mm-hmm. three years, mm-hmm. and I, I was a social chairman. And the senior, yeah. my junior year, I was a social chairman for the dorm. <laughs> mm. I learned how to coordinate and do parties and stuff. And I used that in my career in coordinating events. That was yep. part of what I did, <laughs> coordinate my workshops and the training institute and all this stuff. So anyway, I got that from, from my experience in James. <laughs> well, I've always thought that you had the gift of encouragement. Um, and one of the things that is said about that gift is that it's a party looking for a place to happen. Um, and so that's, that's actually one of the ways I would describe you because, I mean, honestly, you, you just have to understand as a freshman, you were a force to be reckoned with. And, and it was just like, wow. I mean, just, you know, this is what, this is what life could be like, you know, this, this is actually pretty amazing. Um, and, and I will say, by the way, in your defense, you know, even though you don't want to say anything about being a journalist, um, that. The journalism school at Chapel Hill at that point had one of the best reputations in the country. So, so that was yet another reason why I was just like, "Yow, you know, this this girl." So, um, yep, I I I was I was really impressed with you. Um, you were fooled. You were really impressed about, but great. I don't think so. But then again, that happens to freshmen. It's okay. Thanks for listening to Moments That Matter, a podcast that looks at the moments in our lives that come along from time to time that have consequences long after the moment, especially those moments that have to do with the choice of vocation. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation, Parker Palmer speaks of a clearness committee in the Quaker tradition, wherein a group of older, wiser people ask questions of someone considering a life choice as a way of clarifying the next step. We may not meet with a committee about these big decisions, but we all have these critical junctures in our lives, which we can think of as clearness committee moments. We need to pay attention to these moments because they are profound and potentially life-altering. We'll relay stories from our lives and interview others about theirs, especially noting the clearness committee moments. 
those we choose to recognize and those that were sadly ignored, those decisions that were made with God in mind and those that were not. Our hope is that these podcasts will cause you to think of the same kind of moments in your life with new clarity.